The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. You are listening to what is, I guess, the last Peoria Bunker episode where Dan is in the same room with me for a while. Uh, That is my co-host, who I have not introduced yet, and I'll be really sad to see him go after this Memorial Day weekend. All right, how are you doing, Dan? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I need to go get my, my COVID test before I can start working again, so. And that'll be... Tuesday? Wednesday. Oh, so when this episode comes out, we will be finding out if Dan has been infected. Is it? Uh, do you know what tests are they giving you? The good test, the one that can tell not only if you have it now, but if you did and how long ago it was? Well, there's the RNA screening test, which essentially identifies if you have the uh, virus in your upper respiratory system, which that's the only one that's really been proven to work super well yet. So but it doesn't prove if you've already had it or not. That's not what I've heard. I've heard there's several tests where they can tell if you've had it like a month ago. Yeah, those tests exist, but the accuracy on them is still pretty up in the air with like, I think a lot of the best ones. So are they like, can accurately tell you if you have it now, but it's a it's like 50% accurate, the other information? Uh, it's, I think like, it's not as precise on if you're currently infected, and I think there's more false negatives or positives. I don't remember which way it tends so to land. So when you though. see like Joe Rogan saying, oh, we can tell if you had it a month ago, is he wrong? He's not completely wrong, I don't think. I also don't know what test he has, though. So Yeah, I don't, I, we've been watching a decent amount of Rogan. Is there <laughs> How many test kits does he have, and how do you think he got them? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm assuming... He probably said in one of his three-hour episodes in the past two weeks. I'm assuming he was able to just buy them. He's doing an antibody test, which they're not uh, being as widely used yet because their accuracy isn't as well understood, essentially. Well, so... All right. I guess I'll stop speaking about the test because I haven't paid absolutely any attention to how they work. Um, but I think, you know, that I think I, our family probably had it and we've discussed that before. Like our dad yeah. showed exact symptoms, gave it to me and I got the symptoms a week after he left and my mom and it, it's a whole story. Well, yeah, I mean, based on what we know, um, a lot, a lot more people have probably had it than we could even begin to guess, but yeah, I, there, there's a good chance you guys all had it. I don't think I've gotten it yet, unless I, I, I was asymptomatic. I but. can't speak for you, but there would it wouldn't have been from us if you did. Yeah, exactly. Because you came back to Peoria from Boston a couple months ago. How's it been living the Peoria lifestyle for two months? Well, the Peoria quarantine lifestyle yeah, has so, been I guess, yeah. pretty chill. I mean, I haven't been working too much. I've been trying to plan my move Uh Dan's next big move, which is a screenplay you're working on. Yeah, where I move uh, a couple hours away from where I currently am. Yeah, to go to grad school. 
And I, I guess I guess the saddest thing really will be how much less happy our dogs will be to be <laughs> jumping on top of each other all day for two months straight. Yeah, they've definitely both really enjoyed it. We did give them a good send-off, though. We went to Jubilee College Park in Peoria, where they got to run around in a forest with us. Yeah, so, they had a fun time. Yeah, they were they were kind of stupid in the bushes. <laughs> but this is, of course, Broken Silicon, an exclusively PC gaming and hardware podcast. We never talk about anything else ever, as you could just tell. I guess... I don't know. There's been there's been a lot of activity in the past few weeks. We decided to focus on several key stories. I guess I'll just say I don't I'm not really covering any of the big Navi stuff in this episode because did you look at any of it, Dan? Like none of it's new. Like people no, are not- like just desperate to post big Navi information. But these exclusives I've seen, I'm like, we already knew those ID names. We already knew it was 500 millimeters squared, and we already knew it was 80 compute units. Nothing here's new. Yeah, I don't know if there's much of a purpose on constantly covering not the same leak, but the same information on new leaks. So I don't know if there's much of a story until we have like a more concrete information from AMD. Yeah. Well, let's get into the reader corrections and omissions. Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, for broken Silicon 48, I'd like to point out my omission regarding my APU comment. Zen APUs launched in 2018. I bought my 2200G the day after it launched, actually. And with R&D likely occurring in 2016. Anyways, he's referencing how he didn't think it would even have been easy for Nintendo to use some kind of Zen Vega APU for the Switch over Tegra. He goes, the only way I could see Nintendo looking forward to an AMD APU solution back then is if they had collaborated with AMD similar to Sony and Microsoft's collaborations, which is true. I mean, uh, Sony got a lot of Vega architecture features in the PS4 Pro a year before Vega came out. And I I know Microsoft, I don't even know if this came to other products. It might have. I know Microsoft's Xbox One X just had tweaks to the Jaguar architecture that they said gave it a 5 to 10% IPC increase over the previous one. Hmm. So... Yeah, Sony and Microsoft work closely with AMD, and it just seems like Nintendo uses off-the-shelf solutions that they then neuter. But anyways, he goes on, and that collaboration would have led to a new Switch model. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say Nintendo is monitoring the APU uh, market very closely right now, though, with Ryzen 4000 APUs improving performance for raw drastically, a 16CU Renoir APU could actually suffice for a Switch successor, or at least a 4600HS for a Switch Pro. Yeah, this is this brings up something that I've said a couple times, and the first and this it usually I'm addressing what a lot of people say in response to this, which is there's no way the Switch is running third party AAA games at all by early next year. They just it just it's just too weak. It's just vastly too weak. They can barely run games from like 2016 now <laughs> on yeah. the Switch, and a lot of people are saying so they better have a successor out this fall, and I say no. No, just give it a year where you don't have, they have their own first party games and they have indie games and there are select easy to run games that are still newish that they can add to the Switch. I don't think there's any point in releasing it now. I think they should wait for like a, some kind of Saison or Rembrandt based APU for late next year, because by then it will be fairly easy. They could literally, I don't know if they would ever work with AMD closely to do a custom one, but like a half. Rembrandt, like yeah. a four-core, eight-thread Rembrandt with, let's say, I don't know how many CUs it's planned to have. I would guess 
16 to 24 or something like that with like, let's say just even, yeah, just even 16 compute units enabled on five nanometer. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I really think that could, if the next gen consoles are doing 4k 60 or even 4k 30, the switch could then just do 1440 P 30. That'd be fine. Yeah. Like they should just wait for that. Yeah. And I think with the success of the switch, I, I, I feel like they've kind of arrived at this solution where being two thirds of a generation uh, technologically behind on Nintendo works fine for them. They won't get yeah. every third-party game they'll get. By the they'll end of the next generation, especially when the pro consoles come out from Microsoft and Sony, no, they're not going to run those games. Although, if they're going to plan to come out with another uh, a Switch successor next year, I wonder if they're going to do more like a two-thirds gen cycle or something from now on where they upgrade closer to every four to five Maybe. years. Maybe. I don't but, know. It doesn't seem to matter. People keep buying the Switch no matter how weak it is, so... I just th- I just hope they do a better job next gen. If they there are a few key things they could have done to the Switch, which would have allowed it to run more AAA games. I don't remember how much RAM it has. I thought it had three gigabytes or something. But if it would have just had like four or five gigabytes total, and they would have had the I believe the yeah the RAM is sixteen hundred megahertz, and then they would have just gone with like twenty one thirty three megahertz, <laughs> which wouldn't have cost almost any more, by the way. And if they would have just gone with a Tegra that was clocked a little faster than actually like because they basically have a nerfed tegra if it would have yeah. been an overclocked tegra which again i imagine the yields are insane on those things i really do think they could have run more triple a games than and like it yeah they been could, barely, probably could have it would have still been 720p 30 but it could have been more games like they just can't make games into three gigabytes like i'm sorry guys. Y- yeah or it, if it, it's four i don't remember specifically guys yeah, it really doesn't work anymore for them, but I, I don't think they really need to unless until they really can't right bring now, third parties yeah. to their platform, which they still probably can bring some. Yeah. TSPCFS writes him and he says, not sure how much of a correction this is, but I'm pretty sure TU100, which I recall you mentioning about Turing with HBM, does not exist. Perhaps I'm misremembering what context in which you mentioned TU100. No, you're right. I mean, I looked it up and I was confusing. So this comes from when I talked about how there was like an HBM version of TU102 and like the and that was like TU100, but there that doesn't exist. I was yeah. thinking of Pascal 100. Yeah, oh, that makes an sense. HBM version of what is it? GP102. Yeah, and so GP100 was just an HBM version for the professional market. They never made that for Turing. That's Volta. They don't need it. Yeah. So, no, you are right, and that's a good correction. Blokes writes in, and he says, the way game-ready drivers work is by injecting their own code into the rendering pipeline in place of what was originally there. Thus, the way DLSS 3.0 would work in any game with TAA is that someone has to manually go in, essentially reverse engineer the motion data for temporal AA is stored, and make a bypass from the TAA routine into their own DLLS routine, which still uses the same image, motion, previous frames data that would have originally been fed to do the temporal anti-aliasing. That's why developers can go in and make it work better for DLSS 3.0, according to your Ampere leak, as there are likely bits and bops of data you could additionally provide to feed into the DLSS routine to make it do its job better. Okay, I mean that makes sense. I've, they've had solutions like that before, haven't they? Yeah, but yeah, and he and for those who wonder if you haven't watched my Ampere leak videos, like DLSS 3.0 supposedly just works inherently with any game that has TAA, which is a huge, huge deal compared to the 
works in barely any game situation <laughs> right now. And they said that it might not work perfectly every time, but it should just work and that developers can more easily go in now and fix it too. Whereas again, as opposed to now, there's not a whole lot they can do. I mean, there is a lot they can do, but it takes a lot of work to fix and just mm-hmm. shouldn't. But also, Blux is adding on to that. And that's, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I have much else to say. That's just really well said. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, important correction to, or omission, I guess, but yeah. TSP CFS writes in again and says, on the Radeon 7, Ryan Smith at Anantech says they have sales lined up. Uh, so he's talking about the Radeon Pro 7, which was launched a day before <laughs> before A100 to try to steal some of NVIDIA's um, thunder. And I remember seeing that and going, wow, a Radeon 7, that's 20% more efficient for double the money for the professional market. Yep, I bet no one will be talking about Ampere now, AMD. But I kind of acted like, <laughs> I don't even know who wants this. This isn't that big of a deal. But but Tispsa says that, what is it? Uh, Ryan Smith's pointing out that, no, actually they're making sales. And that he's, he goes on to say, so well, the launch timing just before NVIDIA is an obvious AMD move. The product seems to actually have a market it is addressing. Coders prepping for El Capitan and Frontier are sure to find it handy, it seems. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they timed it on purpose and it's not that flashy of a thing. They must have literally said, I don't know, what are we launching within the next two months? Let's push it to a day before Ampere. But it looks like it's useful, though. So wait, are El, uh, so El Capitan and Frontier are going to be using the Pro 7 then, I guess? Or? Um, I look No, they're using it to prepare. To, to prepare the code running on it for oh, CDNA okay. I launches, see. which CDNA one is basically just Vega for, fourth edition, if you consider Renoir second edition. Yeah. But yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, that's a good point, too. That's a good correction, too, because I basically entirely dismissed it. <laughs> but I guess, no, it serves a purpose. It's just, it's just still half true, though, because, I mean, they clearly just launched this product right before Ampere to yeah. try to steal some thunder. Okay, I suppose we should get into the stories. All right, so story number one. Zen 3 now mostly supported on B450 and X470 and supposedly some X370. So I didn't really write down an exact quote, but this is, yeah, I don't know. I think this is, I think we addressed this in the loose ends if I'm remembering correctly, but I don't. Did, did we also talk? Oh, wait, yeah, we did. Sorry, I was confusing the not supporting story yeah. on the last Broken Silicon. No, yeah, we covered how AMD was supposedly not going to support. Uh, at, I believe I believe our podcast came out like right before they changed their mind, if I'm remembering correctly. It's Probably. honestly hard for me to keep it straight, straight sometimes, guys. We're covering like a dozen stories. But no, and so here it is. It looks like Zen 3, and this is important, as you will know, as I noted in my um, Killing i9 video that came out right before this podcast, the... Matisse 2 was also supposedly not going to work on yeah. X470 and X5450. And, and that's because the BIOS data was full. The AMD is just launching so many different CPUs, so many generations year over year on the same motherboards that they ran out of space for microcode to support them. Mm-hmm. But it looks like what they're going to do now is actually a there's some work put into this, guys. Like it looks like AMD may have some motherboards, depending on wow, the BIOS how high-end the BIOS is, how much data it can store. They might like make you flash it, and then it turns off. And then you have to take the CPU out, CPU out and put the new one in, and you can never go back to the old CPU. 
Yeah, so I think a really important thing to highlight is if you are a person that is in this situation, uh, and I know a bunch of YouTubers have said this already, like make sure that you follow the steps correctly so you don't essentially set what it sounds like, maybe break your system. Yeah, and there are some motherboards that should just get an update and be okay. But yeah. some of them, it's going to be a hard upgrade process. Especially, you know, one surprising thing is they're also planning to bring support to select X370 motherboards. Meaning, yeah, you could have been someone with an 1800X in 2017 and upgrade three or four years later to a 16 core with 30% <laughs> higher IPC. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, yeah, X370 was the high-end chipset for Zen 1, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. And then they went to 470 for Zen Plus, 5 mm. for uh, Zen 2. And as far as I'm still aware, Zen 3 is just going to use X570. I've heard of an X670 with like slight up additions, but I'm not I'm not sure that that's still coming. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about this story? I mean, I, I, I mean, just to highlight again, AMD had to put effort into this. There was a reason they were going to drop Zen 3 support. I do think, as I've said in multiple videos and podcasts, that it was because they also did know that yeah. uh, elite, elite <laughs> PC gamers will just buy a new motherboard every time. <laughs> But at the same time, it looks like they had a legitimate reason, uh, and board makers did too, to not want to have to deal with this anymore. But I, I, I think they just went back on it, not even just because of the complaints, but because they don't want a lawsuit. Like, you could probably sue them for... Well, yeah, and I, uh, I, I guess I didn't completely remember this pr from the prior episode, but yeah, they, they, you could argue that there was some would have been some false advertising claims uh, about like the capabilities of X470, given the prior news about it, so... They told people before B550 came out, just get X470. Yeah, so this is... And if they went to court, they could have proven they could have done something. Yeah, so this is good news for us, and it kind of does cover their asses a little bit, though, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyways, let us move on to a reader mail. Aaron Keith writes in, and he says, Regarding AM4 support, I think AMD needs to do this move with its compatibility. He may have wrote this in before they changed their mind. He goes... I came into the 1600 AF, that's the 12 nanometer refresh of the 1600 for those listening, last month, and it took nearly two days of back and <laughs> forth with Asus, MSI, and Gigabyte to find a B450 board that would work with it without a boot kit from AMD. Ended up canceling my Strix board and going to the Tomahawk just to have the flashback option. I'm an experienced PC builder, so... How nightmarish must this be for new, unexperienced builders? And I do think that's a good support and something that they need to put more thought into with AM5. Like, it's true that it might, like, this is just, this is another reason they may have done this, too, is just so it's not as confusing for people building a PC. Because it is getting confusing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I think, like, the kind of rolling compatibility thing they had prior to the AM4 platform where they had, like, AM3, AM3 Plus, et cetera, was a decent idea if you're going to have like these weird cross, like backwards and forwards compatibility uh, chipsets. Yeah. But <laughs> if you just stick with the same, uh, same socket, socket for four, four years, years and there's different compatibility with different chipsets, that becomes very confusing even for experienced builders, especially people that are used to like the Intel model where... Yeah. It's just you get compatibility for two years and then you're done. Um, yeah, so I don't have that much to add except that's a very good point, Aaron. I, I, I mean, it's confusing and it's something they need to put. Honestly, I think their solution is going to be twofold. I think they will put more thought into it with AM5 and I think they're just going to say, we're not doing that again. 
Yeah. Uh, like, if I had to guess what they're, which it might be better for us all just due to communication. As most people said, the problem with them dropping Zen 3 support really wasn't that we should expect them to have it that long ever. The AM4 is one of the <laughs> best motherboard sockets ever in longevity. It's just they said they would. And yeah. So I think just with AM5, which should come out at the very end of 2021, if not early 2022, <laughs> they just need to say, hey, look, it's coming out. And I guess actually uh, AM5 might come out 2021 just for like uh, Rembrandt APUs. Just oh, like okay. Ridge, right? Would you? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that's what I assume is that the AM5 will come out end of 2021. And if it does, just say, hey, this is going to work with for the next three years, not the next four, and everything should work. That's what they should do. Yeah, everything. I think that's a it lot. It doesn't matter, guys. Everything works, but just three years, just three, just two or three gens, not four or something insane. Yeah, that's a lot less confusing. And I guess I will add, if you are ever confused, AMD does have a fun little chart that you can Google. It's if you like to look up the looking. AMD socket compatibility. Yeah. So if you are building, they have that. If you're confused about the nightmare that AM4 is slowly becoming. <laughs> but it's still going to be confusing with uh, the next Zen because... I mean, when you have people upgrading, there's still going to be different ways some motherboard manufacturers are handling the upgrade. And yeah, that's true. I remember true. that problem when we, our friend Brock, when I was helping him build his, he got a he got an engineering sample 10 core Broadwell E, which is legendary that I keep bringing it up on the show, but he got it for like 240 bucks. But he had to really put effort into figuring out if some of those motherboards, which were originally made for, I think, Haswell E, could boot with a Broadwell E chip. You know, like oh. be extra, extra careful because they'll launch a motherboard that at launch was just meant for Haswell. And so if you don't have a Haswell CPU, it won't boot with Broadwell. Oh, I, I, I don't uh, remember that issue he had, but yeah, which I mean, it was fine. Yeah, but that's also another thing to look out for. And that, again, I just think yeah, it could be a nightmare for some people. So I'm just like, just get X570 or X or B550 once those are out soon. It's worth the twenty dollars. To ensure compatibility and have the newest features. I mean, yeah, I definitely agree. But for those upgrading, this is nice. So yeah. anyways, uh, Dermige writes him and he says, I know it's not on anyone's radar at the moment, but I want to know your speculation around Threadripper 4000. And I see there being three scenarios that AMD can go with. Scenario one, same core counts, better clocks. Scenario two, incremental core increases, something like 80 to 96 on the top end. Scenario three, bucket 128 cores which is most likely i think i'd put which is most likely i put 20 dollars on scenario one. Oh, so yeah you're saying you'd bet on the first one as far as i'm aware zen 3 default default milan replacing rome will still just be 64 cores but with the ipc increase and better efficiency yeah i mean i don't have too much to add that before writing this, I said my bet was on one two as well. So, <laughs> which is worth noting because that that it's still going to be a big deal. Because if you look at what they're launching with Rome, there's like two fifty and two eighty watt models that boost pretty freaking high for a sixty four core. And if Zen three just can move like that two eighty watt level turbo boost with a twenty percent IPC increase, but then make it fit in a one eighty watt socket. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty huge performance increase for the server market. That's the, yeah, that's twenty percent IPC increase times the fact that at the same TDP it might be boosting ten percent higher. So that's that's pretty big, actually. Yeah, that's true. And for those tasks that 
uh, reduce power is pretty important. And unlike the Threadripper systems, I think I think Zen Two Rome is still compatible with the original Zen One Epic motherboards. They might even be able to upgrade from a Zen One 32 core Epic to a 64 Zen Three. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, if you're a <laughs> server boy. But yeah, in terms of Threadripper, uh, yeah, I yeah, I I just think core counts stay the same higher. You know, I, I've heard rumors that they were working on. Well, we know this for a long time that there were rumors that AMD was looking at 80 cores for Zen Three server. Because if the chiplets are a little smaller, there's a lot of room on those Epic packages to make the I.O. die and yeah. put a few more core chiplets. And there are, of course, the infamous SMT4 rumors, which are still out there, by the way. I still have, I've received information that they're like, no, they tested them back then and they have them. They're just not sure when to implement it. Probably not till Zen 5 is what I've heard, by the way, just so everyone knows. But there's also a custom Milan. It sounds like for the Frontier supercomputer. So who knows? There's room. What if the custom Milan goes up to 80 cores? I don't know. But yeah. I don't think mainstream Epic, mainstream Threadripper is going above 64 cores. And I think that's the real question you're asking here. I think that was, that was a very comprehensive answer. Yeah, I would agree. Thank you, brother. <laughs> All right. Number two. Desktop Renoir could have 2.1 gigahertz core clocks. It's like, ooh So this story here, and there's a, what? So there's a, I just wanted to do that. So there's a link in the description. Again, I believe we've covered, I've covered this in videos, and I, of course, have covered this on the Loose Ends. But we're bringing it up here for those who didn't listen to the Loose Ends. Desktop Renoir's an integrated GPU should boost to 2.1 gigahertz, so that's eight Vega, well, really Vega third-gen yeah. compute units. It is not the same as the other Vegas. It is like 10, 20, 30% higher IPC and substantially higher efficiency. You know, so eight compute units... That actually I've heard is within 20% of the IPC of RDNA 1. And <laughs> so it's actually, it's actually, Vega's not that bad when it's in a small package, guys. But the point is 1750 megahertz for the 4900H on laptop. So this is 15% higher stock clocks. And I'm sure because they're going to give it a 65 watt TDP, this will also maintain the boost clock closer probably too, especially yeah. if you overclock it. So there's no way around it, especially when you overclock desktop Renoir. I expect this thing, I mean, to put it this way, eight compute units versus the RX 470s or 570s, uh, 32 compute units. So a fourth the compute units. But this thing could be clocked twice as fast. What were were those clocked at? Around 1,000 megahertz then? Uh, Around 1,200 if you're the 470. Yeah, so assuming no IPC really, I mean, that's... No, it is higher IPC. Yeah, I know, but that's a pretty damn uh, good uh, entry level. I don't think it'll be as good as an RX 470, but I think, like I've been saying, it's going to be a tab below it on desktop. Yeah. Like I said in my video, um, I, I mean, it will ju- no, I'm sorry, not a tab below it. I think it's better than an RX 560, so it should be, I don't know, it should be around a GTX 1050 performance, maybe even 1050 Ti. We'll have to see, and I mean, maybe just below a 1650 if you really push it far with really fast RAM. I could see it around a 1650 max Q or a little below it. Yeah, that level of performance just coming with a eight core CPU. I mean that that's impressive. I, I really didn't think Renoir would be that good, but this budget APU they've made is going to pay dividends. I'm telling you. Oh yeah, definitely will. I mean, the big question then is the price of it, but what? Which I covered, I thought it was going to be 300 Yeah. just because they called it R7, 4700G. So I assumed it was going to replace the 3700X and be like, but cheaper. So be like a $300, 3800X, but then with integrated graphics. 
Now that I see that the six core version, the six core version of Renoir supposedly based on a recent leak is going to be called the 4400G. Interesting. So I thought that was going to be the 4600G, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. So if it's 4400G, then they might just launch like a 150 or $180 six core 12 thread with decent integrated graphics. Okay, then. I think they're just calling it R7 because they insist on eight cores still being uh, R7. R7. Yeah. And so I could see this instead of being 300, 250. This could be 250 with the 4600X just being the same price. I mean, that would be a pretty damn decent deal for a CPU, especially with the GPU tacked onto it. <laughs> but uh, now here's the thing, though. Renoir doesn't have PCIe 4.0 support. Oh, I didn't and remember that. And it only that. has eight PCIe lanes. Okay, so that's a definite detraction from the... Well, so I assume they would just make some custom iodide. They've done this for a few embedded Epic chips. Like there's, I don't know if you've seen it, Dan, the single chiplet and then the one iodide on like a tiny Epic. It looks pretty cool. Oh, I don't think I have seen that. Yeah, it's like this tiny Epic embedded, I think, Snowy Owl platform <laughs> is what it's called. Uh, but anyways, so I thought they'd just make a custom iodide for Renoir that might give it Gen 4 PCIe. Doesn't yeah. sound like it based on one rumor. Now, I haven't confirmed this, so I could be wrong. It could still be $300, be this great gaming chip with 4.0 support. But if it doesn't have 4.0 support, I don't know, actually. Maybe it'll be 230 220 And I might have to just be wrong about that then. But the, again, I assumed that. That's why I would have been wrong, because I assumed it has it, the same I.O. It, yeah, if it doesn't have very good I.O., then it's not as good of a chip. <laughs> no, it's just not. It's just not worth the money. But it would still be very good. I mean, I, I don't know. You think about it, though, too. If it has that much less I.O., can it... And then X570 motherboard, could it even use an MSATA and run a graphics card easily? Well, how many lanes would well, that I guess, end up I guess they up? still have the IO. It's still going to have an IO die that provides. Yeah, so I don't know, right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If it doesn't have 4.0 support and it has only eight PCIe lanes connected directly to the CPU, I don't know then. I don't think they can charge more than like 200 bucks for this. With it's, it's Again, and it won't matter if you get a dedicated graphics card, but if Eventually, you might want to. Yeah, because they'll still kind of makes it a budget pr uh, processor then no matter what. Which is why when I saw Renoir coming to desktop, I'm like, I assume it's going to have some of these disadvantages. So they better charge, you know, 180, yeah. 150 for it and call it the 4400G. And then maybe just give us more cores in the low <laughs> end. But I don't know. It's kind of mixed results is what I'm saying about Renoir, even though it is impressive. I don't, I, I don't know. What do you What do you think about all of that? I, I mean, I don't know if it can't support, if it can't like support the full platform, calling it a 4700G is an interesting move and charging more than a couple hundred bucks doesn't sound like a great idea to me. I guess, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is this. I, I think that leaks legitimate with mm -hmm. the picture that shows the name R74700G. It would, I mean, they can still change it. They can just make a different heat spreader for the top. They, they, they could change the name if they wanted to, to 4,600G. Uh, which, again, still is kind of confusing with eight cores if, unless they give the 4,600G eight cores as well, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I guess that's... You know, yeah, I guess that's true if they're... Because opposing their naming scheme would be a bit odd. Although, I, I wonder how many much people actually pay attention to like the R3, R5, R7 naming scheme. Well, the 600 usually denotes yeah. how many cores are in it, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so, I don't know. But this is why I've always said I don't even know if Renoir is coming just because it seems confusing. Maybe they'll wait till Cezanne to bring it. But no, doesn't seem like they are. 
<laughs> and whatever it is, it'll be an, ex, uh, an impressive AP. Let me see what... Because the only other things I have in the notes here is anyone doubting that the PS5's at 2.2 gigahertz still for some reason, this 65-watt APU is going to go to 2.1. They can yeah. fit in a console 2.2. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and just looking at this, I think, yeah, I think... And I think the PS5 and Xbox Series X are going to be like 200 watts, guys, at those clock speeds and compute unit counts. I, I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, based on what we know about the power connector, that's probably around where they'll be at, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, that's enough Renoir talk, I think. Silence is golden, writes in, and he says, thanks for answering the previous question, Tom. I think I'm biased towards the FPS and competitive gaming scene, though. And he's talking about like uh, monitors and refresh rates. Oh, yeah. And I think I would tell others to bias towards those games if they're interested in them. That's why I like 1440p, 144 hertz, more than 4K, 60, and I don't really need 4K, 120. Anyways, more reader mail questions. So you had several Silence is golden. You got <laughs> greedy today. So I picked one that I thought met match with the story better. But you can ask the other ones again if you want to, or I might even just filter them into a future mailbag episode of Die Shrink. Anyways, though, Silence is Golden goes, do you think AMD will just stop making low-end graphics cards once the APUs are out? I cannot see a reason for another RX 560 or 570 or cards below that once those APUs are on the market. Um, I don't know. Well, you got to remember that, like, when this is out, let's let's say our wildest dreams come true and somehow this is as strong as even a 1650, which is just like 10, 20 percent below a 570. Um, no, I mean, because the 5500 XT is a 590 in performance and they'll be launching the 6500 XT within half a year, probably. Yeah. So that's going to probably be about as strong as a 5600 XT, I would guess. And that blows Renoir out of the water. Well, yeah, but below like that performance, like, well, I mean, they already haven't had one for a while, but like below the 5500 XT uh, market, I wonder if it may, it becomes yeah, a little redundant. They only bring the 5300 to laptops right now. Yeah, that's true. And So, so I guess to answer your long-term question, Saison's supposedly going to go up to 24 compute units. Which that does... With RDNA 2. So right there, but again... I don't know. The 6500 XT might still be 50% stronger than that. I, I think for the time being, I still think the 5500, the 500 market, or what used to be the RX 560, the RX 460, mm -hmm. that level is going to start fading. I start fading away a little bit, but like, yeah. So I guess the 460 was a little too weak, but the 560 was actually decently impressive. I think that level of just below of lower mid range is going to exist, but I do believe low ends basically going away. I guess. I I mean it really is becoming a pointless market, but like below the fifty five hundred. And Nvidia didn't launch a sixteen thirty. Yeah, no that's 1630. true. Sixteen thirty. So I think that that market's gone. The the RX five fifty market, which in today's nomenclature would have been an RX five fifty three hundred. That's pretty much gone then on desktop. On laptop, it still makes sense because they split up this, mm -hmm. the heat a little bit and the CPUs are weaker and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I guess I think the 5500 XT, 65, 7, XT, that's going to stay for a while. But everything below that might be permanently gone. And eventually, eventually with Rembrandt, Zen 3 Plus APUs on 5 nanometer, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be quite enough to kill it. I'm kind of working on a video on this, but... I do think eventually we will get to a point where, yeah, I don't know where it would be, like a 5600 non-XT, if we were going to make up that graphics card. 
is pretty much where the minimum is going to be in a couple of years. So I guess when you're you, not, I, I kind of agree with you. When you say 5,600 non-XT, do it you mean that exist, level of performance? If there or was like, one, like 10, 20% okay. than the 5,600 XT or something. Okay. Like just a bit above 5,500 XT, that's still probably going to exist. But it will be this rolling ball, I believe, moving up the product stack very, very slowly every couple of years. And I don't think they would come. I, I don't know. Even once the uh, integrated catches up to that level of performance, I don't know if they'll completely want to get rid of it within a year, just so people have the option of buying discrete graphics if they still want it. Well, for the one thing worth mentioning another. though is that's what the used market's for. True. That that's what last gen GPUs are for. Now yeah, that's they true. might require six pins or eight pin power connectors. So. Eh, I guess good point that that's not the same thing as being able to put in one without a power connector. But I don't know. I think there will be when there's an opening, you'll see NVIDIA or AMD launch a 75 watt no PCIe card that's (laughs) slightly better than the APUs every now and then. But it's going to become less of a normality. I mean, again, you had an HD6450 that you got that was like five times stronger than integrated graphics. And yeah, that's true. It was 40 bucks. There used to be this very big and thriving market of 40 to $60 graphics cards. That's gone. Now the $100 market's gone. Eventually the $150 market might go away, but I think the like $180 market's here for for a while. Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty safe estimate to say right now. Number three, AMD to announce Ryzen 9 3900 XT, 3800 XT, and 3600 XT on June 16th. And I'm quoting from video cards. AMD is set to launch Matisse refresh processors. This is an extension of the existing Matisse Ryzen 3000 series with new SKUs. Yesterday's story has turned out to be true only partially. Yes, Ryzen 3000 refresh is true, but the names shared in the story are not accurate. Manufacturer is rumored to launch Ryzen 3000 processors with a new XT moniker. WCCF posted a proof which does look like it is using AMD's font. This is a new moniker which is associated with Radeon graphics rather than desktop processors, at least up until now. We are not sure if the new XT variants are meant to replace current SKUs or they are meant to offer an alternative. The CPUs may or may not feature the same core counts as their existing Ryzen non-XT siblings. I guess what they're saying is there's no proof, although I think we can assume they will. Um, But it is more likely that AMD will provide a clock speed increase instead. And yeah, I just had a video come out about this, about the 3900 XT, 3800 XT, if you guys want to watch that, my thoughts on it. And and, and I I did a whole video on it because to my surprise, people are really like confused by some things with Matisse (laughs) 2 for some reason. And it's uh, I've had Matisse 2 info for months. I almost didn't do any videos on it, but I made it a third of one of my videos a couple of weeks ago. I thought I might as well tell people it's coming. Um, I didn't find it that interesting. I thought it was common sense this would be coming. We've had rumors of this for a while. In fact, I'll tell you guys that months ago it was referred to by sources I talked to as 3750-3850X. So this is new to switch to the X-Team moniker. But um, I don't know. What do you think about this? Um, I mean, yeah, I I agree. Uh, It's not that surprising or super interesting, I guess. It's just to... Hold off Comet Lake, I guess, until Zen 3 comes out. That huge 7% gaming performance golf Intel has over AMD right now. Going to see if they can close a massive 7% difference in frame well, rates in some games in 1080p. They did also do the pretty big thing where they 
now called the 9900K, a 10700K. So that's a pretty big difference. But <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. It's, but yeah, I mean, anyways, the, the thing with people, what I mean when people are confused, so many people are like, why are they doing this? And it's my answer in my video I made about it is because they can. I mean, they were at yeah. 70% yields when Zen 2 launched. They were at about 80% yields kind of quarter three last year. And then they were at about 94% or something at the end of last year. That is a massive increase in silicon quality. This is there already. You're there, you're probably getting some 3600 XTs right now if you buy 3600X. <laughs> yeah, and it does make me wonder if with that high efficiency for their process, I wonder if like the partial oh, yeah, the, CCX dies. They're just disabling the two worst cores. Oh, like if there's that makes one sense. core yield where two of the cores can't get close to the clock speeds of the others. So like make that one a six core. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, no, I I, I was gonna corroborate your uh you talking about the confusion because i saw the leaks on okay, uh, good because all right on uh reddit today and it was interesting like the complete and utter confusion around it like some people were like so what does this mean for ryzen now they're calling it fifth gen i think so i think they think this some people thought this is the 4000 series even though in the title it's like Mm-mm. it's gonna be the 3900 xt or why are they doing this so close to release of Zen 3? And a lot of people yelled at Adored, apparently, because half of Adored's article about it the other day was him shitting on people who yelled at him that <laughs> that couldn't possibly be true. I don't remember getting a bunch of hate about Matisse, too, frankly. But yeah. I guess Adored did. Well, sometimes I think that guy might invite hate when he posts pictures of people and says, you're stupid. But <laughs> I don't know. The point is, he's right. I'm right. Others, people who talked about it are right. It's coming. It's coming, guys. And that's what I say in the video, too. Again, go watch that. What does this mean for Zen 3? Nothing. means nothing. They're doing this because it's easy to. Well, yeah. Zen 3 is not being delayed. I have no information that anything's changed for Zen 3. Still on track for quarter 3, quarter 4 launch. Again, it'll be a staggered launch like Zen 2, except I suspect they'll do the high-end models first this time. What came out first for Zen 1? Was it the 37 and 3800X? I mean, Zen 2. Zen 2, so yeah, not Zen 1. Uh, if I remember correctly, 36, 38, 7, 38, 39. Okay. And then, or it may have been 39, 38, 37, and then 36, and then 3950X. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes and sense. And then 3500X, you know, all of that. Yeah. Technically, Picasso 3400G, I guess, was the first of the 3000 series. Which oh, yeah, yeah. Renoir will be for the 4000 again. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think there's too much more to say about that. I saw some people pointing out that they thought giving it the XT nomenclature was stupid. Because I have thoughts it's a- on that. Did you hear it while I was making the video? No, I didn't. So I think I might know why they're going with XT over 3920X or 3850X, mm-hmm. which I want to say this too. I think there's a decent chance the 3800 XT is two 3300Xs clocked higher, basically. Mm-hmm. So two single CCX CCDs. I th- I, from what I've heard, the 3800 XT is going to be the star of this refresh, and it's supposed to crush Intel and gaming performance, or at least catch up. And the 3300X, which we'll get to in a second, in certain scenarios, has like I, real IPC increases yeah. because of that organization of a single CCX in the CCD. It's almost a Zen 2.5, right? And I think they might do that with the 3800 XT. And then also it's going to be clocked on the base clock, not boost clock, base clock, like 10% higher. Okay. But that de facto means that it might get 10% more performance. Oh, that's real. So wait. Because it's base clocks higher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. 
But I'm not confirming. I don't have exact numbers. But that's what I think is going on. And I think the XT is because it's not like the 3950X is a lot better than the 3900X. That's so true. 3850X could be confusing in their opinion. 3800 XT is, yeah, it's 10% better. It's the same thing, though. Also, I bet it's 125 watt TDP. And the XT oh, moving yeah. forward can be used for one for higher watt models than normal. Oh, they that refused makes sense. to do that, right? There were rumors in the initial Zen 2 leaks that there would be 135 watt models, 125 watt models. No, my 3950X is cool as a cucumber. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I was going to say the reason. And some people were confused about it was it makes their nomenclature extremely similar to their uh, graphics nomenclature that they have right now. They've wanted to do that for a while. Yeah, that's true. It might confuse some people entering the market, though. The only thing is RX's graphics are 9735. That's yeah, that's CPUs. true. I, I don't know if it's confusing or not. Frankly, all these names are BS anyways. I mean, it's not as confusing as I9-10900K. <laughs> Or i9-10980XE. Yeah, that's true. And they've been, Intel's been like subtly changing their nomenclature forever, which is interesting. But but. yeah, so I hope I cleared that up. That's what I think is going on with Matisse too. They're doing it because they can. It's not delaying Zen 3. And again, remember, they, I I can't find the 1600AF anywhere, right? Yeah. For less than 200 bucks all of a sudden. I think it might be getting phased out already. So there's no reason they couldn't launch this and then just phase it out in like four months or drop the price like the 2700X. I doubt, you know, they can just drop this 3800 XT to 200 bucks if they can't launch a 4600X on time or something. Yeah, or if they are doing the top, the high end first for uh, Zen, Zen 3. 3. I mean, this could just be their or, mid-range for- How they fill in holes for, until they phase it out. Yeah, for like, I don't know four months after that or something. Yeah, and again, guys, they're not afraid to drop prices. They're selling $150, 2700Xs a year after it came out. Yeah, that's also true. So that's what I think is happening. And I hope I cleared it up. I mean, those are all the misconceptions. That's why I made a video specifically about it because I was surprised at that. But um, yeah, Blokes writes in and he says, since I was bored, I decided to take a look-see at the clock for clock disparity between the 3100 and the 3300X. So again, to recap for those listening, the 3100 is two two-core CCXs. So it's a full double CCX CCD. They disable two cores on each CCX. The 3300X has one quad-core CCX with all of the cache to itself, which is really almost a Zen 3-like design. He goes, this is in regards to getting a hint at Zen 3's improvement in greater than four-core calculation activities. Given a baseline of a 1.11 IPC performance increase, there's an uplift of 1.12 times 1.15 in applications that don't give a damn as they operate on a strict each core does a small chunk of the same workload diet without any crosstalk. In applications which do have crosstalk, it can be as much as 1.2 to 1.25 IPC increase over the 3100X. So just remember, that's what he's comparing here. In applications where the cache coherency is critical for all cores doing their jobs properly, the uplift can be at 1.45x. A rather extreme code compilation example is at the link here, and I'll put the link in the description. This I wouldn't read too much into that one as it is an extreme example, though. Yeah, thanks for that, blokes. That's it's it, it is hinting at what's happening with Zen 3, really. Like when you just have one CCD that has all this cache to itself. 
You don't have to waste time having the CCXs communicate. It's just one eight core. I, I really think people doubting Zen 3's performance uplift, especially in gaming, mm-hmm. are going to eat crow here. This is, they have, and, and by the way, seven nanometer EUV is supposed to have higher I, higher yields than <laughs> N7 or N7P. So no matter which one they use, N7P and N7 EUV, Zen 3 is going to have insane yields. They're fine yeah. going with an eight core CCX. They're not going to need to disable much. And Zen 3 is really just built to use how good the yields are in TSMC. Now, like I really think when they envision Zen 2, they're like, oh boy, we're moving to seven nanometer. This will give us an advantage. I bet some of these are going to have horrible yields. No, no, <laughs> no. Even five nanometers supposedly above 60% already. Actually, I've heard it could already be at 80% before it even ramps into high volume. So... DSMC's uh, all of a sudden keeping track with Moore's Law after taking a break. And I think Zen 3 is just going to leverage that for some pretty massive IPC increases over Zen 2. Maybe bigger than Zen 2 over Zen 1. Um, I mean, yeah, based on this. Uh, yeah, like you said, he went with his rather conservative 11% IPC gain. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it's higher than that. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just the 3300X to 3100. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it's he's using them as a semi-proxy type thing. But. So, uh, again, I expect scenarios where Zen 3 is 20%, 25% higher. And I point this out in my last video as well, that a lot of that is going to have to do with, and I, I, I hope to have hardware numbers on as the next guest, I think. I really do think I need to have him on now that we're talking about this so much. He was the uh, overclocking Yeah, guy, I used right? him in part of my video. He was the guy who found that it, with a mega cooler on a 3800X. He got the 3800X to be 20, I don't know if 24-7, but at least benchmark, heavy benchmarking mm-hmm. stable at 5 gigahertz. And compared to a 9900K, it actually didn't catch up, which is weird considering the IPC advantage. Zen 2 doesn't scale performance really that much past 4.4 gigahertz all core turbo, unless, as he points out, you were to insanely overclock the fabric. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Zen 3 is going to solve. And so I think what you're going to see is in low power scenarios, Zen 3's IPC increase is like 10 to 15%. But at 5 gigahertz, if you can get it there, Zen 3 might have a 20, 25% IPC increase, all core turbo, well, all, I, all core IPC increase. And regardless, I feel like that wall of 4.4 gigahertz, at some point they're going to need to get past that wall. <laughs> so Yeah. All right. Story number four. Tiger Lake boosts to 4.7 gigahertz, and its GPU seems to be about 20% better than Mobile Renoir. I didn't directly quote. I have a couple links here, one from Tech Power Up, one from WCCF Tech. I'll just summarize. More leaks are coming out about Tiger Lake, and as usual, well, I don't know if it's as usual, but as I, I have to dunk on this, it's exactly as I said <laughs> Tiger Lake was going to be multiple times, especially in my original October uh, Whispers of Golden Cove leak, where I said Tiger Lake is poised to bring higher IPC almost 14 nanometer clock speeds and possibly higher core counts to mobile. And it will be impressive. Not saying it'll be an AMD, but it's going to be way better than what they have now. Um, yeah, I mean, just to summarize, it looks like 4.7 gigahertz boost. So again, maybe 10% lower clocks than Comet Lake at most, but it should have 20% higher IPC than Comet Lake. And go to eight cores on mobile. The GPU looks about 20% better than Renoir. I will say, I don't know that it's going to beat desktop Renoir at 2.1 gigahertz, <laughs> but it should, it should be, it should be, you know, I mean, so again, if we're comparing this to Renoir on laptops, when it launches, only four cores, but it should have 20% higher IPC than Renoir. 
or I guess 10% higher IPC probably. And it should also have 20% better integrated graphics. So we're looking at probably a bit better than MX350 graphics, almost a 1050 graph. Well, yeah, better than a 1050 than probably graphics performance with a pretty decent gaming processor. Um, even with just four cores, I think it'll be okay for a little bit. Once you get to eight cores, honestly, that excites me. Like a laptop with well, it, an integrated Ampere or RDNA 2 micro graphics card in a Tiger Lake CPU. I think it could really compete with Cezanne sometimes. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's the main thing holding their 10 nanometer node back on laptop is they're still on four cores. I mean, once, yeah. they're, once they're at eight cores, that's... I mean, uh, Tiger Lake is easily a better option than Renoir, I would say. Um, not Well, Renoir is going to have 50% better CPU performance at yeah. launch because Tiger yeah. Lake's not going to have eight cores right away. And there's still consternation about when that's coming out. I'm imagining Intel wants eight-core Tiger Lake out now, <laughs> <laughs> but it might not be till quarter one next year, quarter two even. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess I'm more thinking if they can get it out by this, the end of this year, that would look which Decent there's no evidence Intel. they can, by the way. I, I know. I'm not. I'm not saying they're this. going to. But the point is that Tiger Lake is competitive with Renoir. I think Cezanne will be a bit better, but I think eight core Tiger Lake should come out right after. Well, maybe not right after. Cezanne's supposed to come out at the end of this year. So, so yeah, eight core Tiger Lake won't be as good as Cezanne, but I think there will be scenarios where it's somewhat competitive. I don't know. Tiger Lake's. And this is, I look, I, I want AMD to have enough time to build up a war chest of money to survive for a while, but I don't want them to be able to walk away so much in every market that they can start charging $400 for the, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, and I think Tiger Lake looks good enough like it's going to do that. Uh, the 10 nanometer era, that's what I have here as my last note. The 10 nanometer era for Intel will begin at the end of this year. And the 10 nanometer deniers are just going to have to admit that things changed. Intel fixed their node once they decided to give it enough money. I mean, yeah, they were always going to fix it at some point. It's not like this was just going to well, be. Well, there where was Intel a while ends. where Intel didn't think they would be able to. No, <laughs> but it, that's that's just that's just clearly not true, right? Yeah. All right. Let us move on to story number five. Intel Core i9 10900K review. This comes from Tom's Hardware. Ten cores. 5.3 gigahertz and excessive power draw. And they have a subtitle, kick the tires and light the TDP fires. <laughs> From Tom's Hardware, the Core i9-10900K is the fastest gaming chip available, but not by much considering the cost and platform trade-offs. Flipping over to the multi-threaded chart, we can see the 10900K's sizable step forward over the 9900K in threaded workloads, but it still trails the r 9 3900X that retails for $50 less and comes with a stock cooler, which now it's been price dropped, so it's like a whole $100 less. If you choose to go the extreme performance route with the 10900K, you'll need to invest in a capable water cooling solution and a premium motherboard to unlock the full performance. The intense power consumption, which topped at 320 watts during our stress test at stock settings, will limit the performance tremendously. God, you gotta love that 125 watt quote-unquote TDP, right? Uh, if not adequately cooled, not to mention the potentially reduced processor longevity if you overclock, considering the excess power consumption, heat generation, requirements for pricey supporting components, and lack of PCIe 4.0, most enthusiasts are better served with a less exotic alternative like the 3900X. So, yeah, Comet Lake's a joke, I think. 
I, I I mean, I can't see a reason to buy anything at the price it's at. Like, uh, um, I, I believe it was uh, Gamers Nexus that said it's no, it was Hardware Unbox, I believe that said it. The ten nine hundred K pretty much performs at the level of a car a chip eighty dollars less than it, or we're using closer to a hundred dollars less than it now. now. Yeah, while using over over double the energy. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no reason to buy it unless they drop it to. I think three fifty. I, I think I don't think three fifty would be an unfair price. Definitely, it doesn't have four point Yeah, uses that's true. Over double the energy. It should be less than the thirty nine hundred X. And I think the uh, eight core i seven should be two fifty. I think the top six core i five should be one fifty. That's what a 3600 is. It uses double the energy. I don't care if it games 20% better sometimes. It usually doesn't. It uses double the energy. A worse platform. It should be cheaper. Yeah, and that's the other problem is even in the best case benchmark scenarios, like with Far Cry, I think there's an Intel advantage usually. Yeah. Even in the best case scenario. Older games, basically. Yeah. Even in the best case scenario testing, the amount more you're spending for it, it still doesn't keep up. Like. So no. you're so you're getting twenty percent no. better performance close. for twenty five percent, like eighteen percent better performance for twenty percent more money in one game. That's that's what you're paying for. Again, the 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 analogy I would make is if you think of like the three fifty dollar fifty seven hundred XT, the twenty seventy super is like ten percent stronger. So like, what if instead of being five hundred dollars, the twenty seventy super was like a thousand? And didn't have like all these other yeah. features. Like it, it's it's insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. And again, keep in mind that yeah, I I really think what's going to happen is a thirty eight hundred XT for three fifty, a thirty nine hundred XT for five hundred again, and that's just going to end the conversation. Especially if again, if that really is an eleven percent performance in IPC increase between the thirty one hundred X, I mean the thirty one hundred yeah. and the thirty three hundred X, that eleven percent. IPC increase translates to the 3800 XT, and then they clock at 10% higher. They might just even beat the 10900K in gaming performance or tie it. I think yeah. more likely well, tie it. The, yeah, I mean, the 3800 XT might be the best uh, option with that refresh. And I mean, I think I have said for a while, I think if you're just doing gaming and you're not looking and you're not trying to spend an insane amount of money for no reason, the 3800 X. Is about the, the most you need. Four hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it's more than enough, right? It, it, it's it's all that you really need at this point in time. <laughs> and if you get it on an X570 motherboard, guess what? You can just upgrade to the 4950X, which will for sure keep up with the consoles in a year when it's cheaper. It, it just you can't do that with Comet Lake. Yeah, we're pretty sure you'll be able to upgrade to Rocket Lake, but that's going to be limited to eight cores. And as far as we can tell, Rocket Lake should be a bit more efficient. But still use more energy than the 9900K is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. When you train, when you backport a tent, like anything, you're going to lose some advantages. It looks like the IPC increase may be mostly intact between Skylake and Willow Cove. That's what's in Tiger Lake. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the power usage gains or the power, the efficiency gains are way out the window. And the 14 nanometer Willow Cove, which is rocket like, might be 150 watt chips. Yeah. So, I mean, it. If Rocket Lake doesn't isn't at least able to address some of the TDP issues, I I think Rocket Lake could be a joke as well. But yeah, I don't really have much else to add to this. Like, if you're an Intel fan, 
I don't know what to tell you. On desktop, this is not when you buy Intel. There's they they have no purpose. AMD's about to bury it with Matisse too, and then double bury it with Zen three. I just don't think there's a point in getting Intel on desktop. There's still some okay mobile chips. Yeah. But it's just there's no point on desktop. And if you're an let's put it this way, if you're an Intel fan, if I were to speak to an Intel fanboy and he was like, Well, but I have to, I want to upgrade at some point. And let's say he's got an 8700K or an 8086K. I can kind of get why you may have bought that against Zen Plus or Zen 1. Yeah. Because those go to like 5.3 gigahertz sometimes and six cores. Well, yeah, okay. Um, Hold on to that. Just wait for Alder Lake because we've been talking about it. I've been talking with you, Dan, about this. I have a little more information. And as more stuff emerges, I really think Alder Lake could actually be the next king gaming architecture after Zen 3. There's going to be a year where Zen 3 reigns supreme, but then at the end of 2021, I really think Alder Lake could be the ultimate gaming ship for years. Yeah. But do not buy Intel now. Even people within Intel are telling me no one should be buying this stuff. Alder Lake's the one to get. Yeah, and Comet Lake is... I, it, it's one of the biggest jokes I've ever seen get released. Like, I mean, I, like you said, Dan, you were like, are you sure they're going to release it? And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> but it's going to be temporary. Rocket Lake's the true stopgap. Yeah, and this is the stopgap's stopgap. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it's supposed to come out quarter one, but it didn't. So. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to story number six. Intel Z DG1 Gen 12 OpenCL performance leaks. And I quote from PC Gamer, through previous leaks that the Z DG1 graphics will feature 96 execution units, which equals 768 shading cores. What we know is that the card is also equipped with three gigabytes of memory and likely a 96-bit interface with three gigabytes of VRAM. Clearly, this is not the high-end spec graphics <laughs> card that Intel supposedly will bring eventually. It probably shouldn't be considered a gaming card at all, actually. This is an OpenCL benchmark result comparison from Geekbench and CompuBench results. We chose two lowest-tier graphics cards from both AMD and NVIDIA in Radeon RX 5000 lineup with the 5500, whereas for NVIDIA, we chose TU117 GTX 1650. This is not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, but it shows Intel's not even coming close. It is simply to demonstrate where all these cards sit in an entry-level segment. Also, bear in mind that we do not know the state of DG1's drivers, but basically it shows it's less than half as good. Yeah, I mean... And less than half as good as a 1650 or 5500 non-XT from a laptop. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think there's too much to say. At least as a discrete option, it doesn't look like Intel, the DG1 is very good. A lot of people didn't pay attention to this story because it was next to a lot more interesting stories, frankly. And honestly, there's not that much new in here. I figure we had to cover it. This is, you know, there's not much to say. This is what DG1 is. It's just Tiger Lake graphics, 96 it, execution units or something. Like it, it literally is just Tiger Lake's graphics on a discrete form. Factor, I believe right? so, yeah. Tiger Lake or Ice Lake graphics on discrete cards. And I just wouldn't... Uh, the reason I put this story in here is because I think this is, just don't worry about this. I have yeah. my information that they have cards in labs right now that compete with the 2080 Ti. They just use 500 watts, but supposedly <laughs> they are going to fix, it sounds like they might fix the tile, infinity, their version of Infinity Fabric, because apparently, but I haven't done a video on this, guys, there's just too much information to cover. Um, <laughs> I called it the Baba of GPUs, because that's what, and, uh, that's what, Raja Kadori said Baba because uh, I forgot which Indian language, but in that language, that's what father is. And he called it the Baba of GBUs. 
<laughs> and so this is a four-tile solution, I believe, Ponte Vecchio. That's what that leaked picture was, by the way, guys. I know that. Um, I just haven't covered it because I don't have much to say yet, but there's a video I could do on it saying, well, if they're launching that, that means they must have fixed some of the power usage issues because from what I heard, one tile was what they're sticking with for a while. Two tiles is the most they could go to without throwing power usage out the window and four tiles, again, 500 watts to compete with the 2080 Ti. It sounds like they might fix that. So I don't think they're bringing powerful gaming cards from Intel for a year at least still. But yeah. again, it sounds like it might be coming within two years. I mean, it's exciting if it is, but if that's not what this is, though. Yeah, I know. If I, their uh, high end is 500 watts, no one should buy that. And this, no, even I don't 400 even, watts is the limits of like a server card. And this, I question if this is this coming to consumers. No, or this, is this is just, just for testing. Thing? But that's my point. Yeah. Is don't take this as meaning powerful Intel cards aren't coming, but also don't take it as meaning they are. I, I really think this is just a leak showing. Oh, so. <laughs> That is a GTX 1050 in performance, I guess. Not even. Yeah, and like that's... Maybe a bit better than Renoir, I think I heard, in performance. And it uses, you know, eh. Just, just don't read into this. Don't read into these early Z leaks, is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe Intel that's... will fuck everything up, but we don't have... I don't think this is good proof yet. Yeah, we don't have evidence yet. This is... Yeah. <laughs> For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShring for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. All right, story number seven. So we covered this in depth in the Loose Ends our, uh, episode. So you can watch that if you want to hear our thoughts there. But this is all about Unreal Engine 5. Unreal Engine 5 was unveiled running on a PlayStation 5. It showed, you know, they clearly, in my opinion, picked frame rates and resolution 1440p 30 because they knew this was going to be shown on YouTube. So they were like, there's no point in us going way higher, but it had polygon counts at 33 million for like one statue, for example. And that's, I think like Horizon and PS4 is like, I like it just as a random example, I think most polygon counts of current gen games is like 100 to 500 to 600,000 polygons per character. Well, yeah, like Horizon. And that's high polygon. Yeah, like Horizon touted how high their polygon counts were with 
like the some of those the bigger dinosaur robots in that game had like 600,000 polygons which is really high. I specifically remember at launch I think Killzone Shadowfall had 80,000. So you're like HG 7000 series like and that was really high. And then I know like on the whole like if you're looking at HG 6000 5000 series cards most games back then were at like 10,000 polygon count. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So if we were 10,000 in the PS3 gen, if this gen we've been somewhere between 50 and 600,000, this had 33 million. For one character. Yeah, one object. Well, yeah, object, I should and say. And so character. we're looking at an 100x increase at times in polygon counts. Yeah. That's what Unreal Engine showed. And they showed really good dynamic lighting. The biggest deal, really, of the Unreal Engine 5 is the fact that they have hyper-mega scans of 8K assets, like real super high-res scans of a rock. And then you can just put it in the game and it will only pull in as much data as your card can handle. And it can do it rapidly because of the SSD in the PS5 and next-gen SSDs in general. And that's going to make development way easier when you're just an indie dev with mega scans and your engine makes it super easy to tweak settings. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the other big thing too to take away from this is that, I mean, they put their money to good use that they've made off of Fortnite. Uh, Epic clearly has. You know, Unreal Engine 4 really wasn't that popular. I think it it had really good graphics, but probably because of NVIDIA's involvement, it was hard to use. And now they're not doing that anymore. They're working more closely with AMD. And this should be way easier to use. That's what they put their money towards. And on top of that, they're offering the engine with no royalties paid until the first million dollars of profits a studio makes on a game from it. So that... If you're an indie dev, the 8K mega scans, the easy to program, the easy, you know, tweaking of settings, and then that deal for like you can just keep the first million dollars. If you're an indie studio doing a shooter, you gotta use Unreal Engine 5, it sounds like. Well, yeah, I mean, I expect that a lot of those indie devs never end up even making a million dollars. So this for those really small devs, this might but, be a but godsend. For the ones that do, yeah. They they lock in like a 10% royalty for like a hundred million that they just made at Epic. And that's why they yeah. made that deal. Yeah. But yeah, so we and there's a lot to discuss with this too, because this was the first footage of a PS5 running anything real. Yeah, which is why you've seen it a fanboy t- talk talked about ad nauseum way too much and with way too much. But not in the hate. right ways. Right, because like this is really an impressive demo for indie devs, and this has just turned into a flame fest for fanboys. Yeah, I I mean, I I guess the first time a PS5 game was shown, I mean, PS5 footage was shown off at all, it was bound to make a lot of people mad just because of all the conversation about how the PS5 will run games versus the Xbox Series X. Yeah, and I'm writing a note here um, to add the developer reaction videos. Because yeah, yeah. I've actually gone out of my way to reach out to my developer contacts and, um, and look up specific developers who seem to have a decent track record of posting information and their opinions on new technology on YouTube. They're impressed. They're really impressed by this demo. That's the takeaway, is that this demo was impressive to anyone who actually makes games. Because if you look at the end scene where the character... Uh, the the anime chick starts flying around the collapsing temple sit, like complex. He's like, no, this is important to show. One developer said in a YouTube video, 
This is dynamic. This is their new, I think, chaos physics engine. It's calculating at reasonable frame rates, all of these explosions at the same time in 8K textures, dynamic explosions while she's moving that quickly, Mm -hmm. zooming through it. Just something actually Sony showed off with their PS5 demo with Spider-Man, how you can move now faster. Yeah, that's true. in the assets. But this is crazy impressive. We could not do this with modern engines, right? Yeah. And I think after just talking about that, if there's one thing to take away is that this demo was impressive. And this is telling you how where things are going to go now that we are making SSDs the standard. But I think now we do just need to talk about the fanboy bullshit. Like, seriously, guys, I've never seen dumber takes from some tech tubers in my life. Like, and it comes from this. Epic engineers themselves said the PS5 has God-tier storage. This is what I've been talking about, people. I'm not making this up. This is what developers were telling me behind the scenes. They said this is a SSD performance we won't see on PCs for years. Every developer I ask behind the scenes says, correct. This is not even sold to enterprise yet. Marvel's going to eventually use this SSD and sell it to the enterprise market. The PS5 has next-gen enterprise storage. Yeah, I know. And you guys, it's real. I'm sorry, I'm getting mad. It's going to be used for performance, not loading. Yeah, and I think the main takeaway, like, you see all this weird bullshit, like saying Tim Sweeney was paid off by Sony. If he was paid off, if you find a source for that, show it. Show it, because that's an expose. But, But I actually reached out to someone about this, what he had to say, and the developer was like, like swearing. He was so pissed at how people are just not understanding what's happening here. He said, as far as he's aware, Sony didn't push them at all for this demo. If you look at the demo he pointed out to me, there's no PlayStation logo on the screen. Sony loves putting their shit all over everything. They can't help but put product placement everywhere and a PlayStation logo or Sony logo anytime they make anything. It actually annoys me how much they push their own shit. There was no PlayStation logo during yeah. that demo. If Sony paid for this, you could have, you can bet there would have been a PlayStation logo the whole time. And they only mentioned PlayStation 5 a couple times in that they say, yeah, it's running on a PS5. In other words, Epic chose to run this on a PlayStation 5. I've got to be very clear about that to everyone listening. Epic chose on their own to run this on a PlayStation 5. Sony did not pay them. Yeah. There's no evidence of that. There's evidence to the contrary based on everyone I've spoken to. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it, it is a big deal. I mean, I had some other stuff that I looked into about all this weird misinformation Go into shit it. you can get it, uh, we can get into. So there was this big shit thing last week with talking about a laptop running the demo right, on, it, was, on an like, epic stream. Which I just want to say before you get into that, actually, uh, think of what you're going to say because there's been a lot of people just completely misquoting things right now. Like there was the yes. 2070 super comment, which if you read between the lines, he said the 2070 super is going to run this worse. Yeah. <laughs> like he said it runs. Oh, you could tell the conversation was, oh, can my PC with a 2070 run it? And he's like, it could run it is what mm-hmm. he said. He said it could run it. And then he said, oh, how well? Pretty good. That doesn't mean better. That probably means worse. Yeah. And, there, and by the way, there's no way the 2070 is as strong as the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Like, what the fuck is this coming from? It has lower teraflops. RDNA 2 has high performance. We've already seen Hellblade 2 and Gears demos at 4K 120. I want to hear this. The 2070 Super is not as strong as the next-gen console's GPU. Let's just get that out of the way. But yeah. then there was this other thing you found, Dan. 
Yeah, so there was a bunch of talk I saw on forums about like the 2080 uh, uh, laptop with a 2080 running and an Evo 970 SSD running this right. demo from an epic Chinese stream. Now, this has been... Uh, the PC fanboy... And yeah. Xbox fanboys have been all over it oh. because people are mistranslating This was people in constantly. Chinese, and they're using Google Translate and then cherry-picking how they want to understand it. Ba- that's basically my understanding. Tim Sweeney went on a warpath about people oh, uh, quoting, uh, misquoting this. Oh, so, 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 so Sweeney... So for those who don't know, there was a demo in China, Epic China, and they had a laptop showing the demo. But you told me, Dan, that it was showing a video of the demo on a laptop. So one, that was the big thing. It was running an MP4 uh, titled Next Gen Real-Time Demo Running on (laughs) PS5.mp4. Now, later in the... And because you're playing a saved video on a laptop, that means the 2080 can run it. No, that means a 2080 laptop can run YouTube videos. Now, later, the engineer running the stream mm-hmm. talked about how he could run this on his laptop. Okay, so later he said, well, we could run it on the laptop. And what he said is, this was the most comprehensive t- translation I could find, was the SSD speed like PS5 is helpful, especially those huge scenes streaming. Nanite virtual texture is dependent on I.O. Do we need such fast SSD speeds so we can run that demo? In case if we analyze that, for example, 2K, which 2K is 1440p in Chinese, our final goal is that each pixel is one triangle. In case there is not so many triangles, it means it can run at megabyte per second levels. So essentially what he's saying is... It'll still run. It'll run, but if they don't have the I.O., they can stream in data at a lower rate. And that's what one developer said to me is based on this demo. And he says, well, I haven't gotten to work on the engine yet, obviously. This is what he said to me. So I can't say for sure. But I'm sorry. The way I interpret this means faster storage may literally give you a performance increase in a couple of years if you're using this engine. Yeah. And that, and actually that same developer, this one I'm talking about right now, also said to me that he's not entirely convinced the Xbox Series X could even run this demo, which I'm not confirming that. I'm telling you that's what someone told me. I think the Xbox Series X could run it just at different settings. Better or worse? I don't know. Some would probably be better. Some would probably be worse. Maybe a higher resolution, but lower polygon count and maybe frame. Well, but the the streaming part where she's flying, though, I don't know. That's a part I wonder if it could even run it. And based on that epic engineer, what he said essentially is if they don't have the I.O. to do it, they can lower... Texture fidelity. Of course, because it has to be able to run on the Xbox. And that's yeah, another no thing shit. people are saying is, uh, oh, uh, Epic confirms Unreal Engine 5 will run on Xbox and PC. And then they make a leap and say that means it can run that demo. No, they chose this demo. They do all types of demos. They make demos for the Xbox to make the Xbox look good. This one was meant to make the PlayStation 5 look good, or more accurately said, they chose the PS5 to show this aspect of their new engine. Yeah. Now, maybe they would show an equally impressive demo that looks different on the Xbox, but it might not be this one. It might not be able to run this one. Maybe there's one the PlayStation can't run. I don't know. But that's what we know, is that this demo was built for the PlayStation 5 to show how quickly they can stream in assets, and nothing else can rival the PS5's I.O. in that regard. 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to that's put it. That's not to say Unreal Engine 5 won't work on PC. Of course it will. What are you... What a dumb question to ask, honestly. They're a third-party engine game, game engine developer. Of course, this engine's going to run on everything. It'll run on Switch, I bet. But the Switch ain't running this. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, and the big one of the big things they're highlighting with Unreal Engine 5, yeah, is um, the incredibly high polygon counts, which, based on our understanding, the PS5 might be king when it comes to polygon, polygon counts. counts. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll say about this story, which really this is all about us clearing up the misconceptions, because really, again, the big takeaway is this is an impressive engine. Um, yeah. Is that the people saying Sweeney doesn't know what he's talking about? I found multiple comments of that Sweeney guy clearly doesn't understand PCs. He's the fucking CEO of the most like successful game engine company on earth. Yeah. If no, you, he knows PCs, you dumb fucks. If you, I'm sorry, I'm going to swear. This is the dumbest fanboy bullshit I've ever been exposed to. And I cringe at what I'm about to hear in a month when more information comes out. Because this is getting nuts. People acting like they know more than the CEO of Epic Games. I mean, the thing People that made we... made Gears of War? You know more than them? The thing that we always hear is defer to the experts on things that you're hearing. And Tim Sweeney is one of the premier experts Maybe there are people at at Epic right now that could say better than him because he's the CEO now, but he's one of the people you would go to to ask. I can't think of a better asset to talk about game development. Exactly. A third, yeah, a third party that makes some of the biggest engines out there. Aaron K writes in and he says, I've been seeing a lot of coverage of Sweeney's far ahead comments from TechTubers the last week. Most seem to be criticizing it, including one where I saw them wave around a $2,000 Oris SSD and say this exists now so the PS5 isn't impressive. Sony does have to prove their technology works, don't get me wrong, Tom, but it isn't it a bit concerning for you that TechTubers seem to only measure performance with storage and bandwidth, with uh, teraflops and bandwidth? Yeah, it's blowing my mind. I honestly don't know how you can be so bland about, blinded by fanboyism. I mean, I think it's... It's insane what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I, I mean, we saw it. You see it every generation, I guess. I thought maybe we were past it, but... Me too. I certainly I was, was wrong. So. Uh, all I can say is IO is going to matter. There, and there will be links in the description. Like, send me the links you found, Dan. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, and I, I'll put the developer who watches the video live and talks about how this is important. Streaming I.O., which again, let's be clear too, the Xbox Series X has its own co-processors, is going to make a difference. It's not just the storage for load times. It's how fast it can stream in assets. And it's not just the SSD's bandwidth, by the way. It's how you organize the bandwidth, how many tiers of storage for prioritizing different types of data, how many co-processors you have. That matters. And it is going to matter big time for games in the next two years. And people telling themselves it won't are just going to be wrong. This well, is this. By the way, this is common sense. If you don't think this is going to make a difference, I don't think you know how games work at all. I don't think and, you know how games work. And just once again, do you think Sony would put multiple uh, chips in their <laughs> PS5 that are dedicated to I/O so they could get a 0.4 second load time versus a two second load time? No, and spend a bunch of money on it. Also. Ignoring the fact that if you have a 0.4 second load time, that's essentially allowing you to load assets as you're moving, whereas you couldn't do that before. I, I don't understand how there isn't just this, oh, if this means, th if 
X means Y and Y means Z. X means Z. Like, I, I don't understand how you can I know, just follow I know. this basic logic. And I want to say this, too. I said the same thing about the original Xbox Series X information, where people were like, see, 2080 is better than the Xbox. And I'm like, they're running Gears of War with ray tracing now at 4K 120. This is destroying the 2080. I know. <laughs> and so I just want to be clear about that. This demo was the PS5, so that's why we're talking about the PS5. When the original Gears of War stuff was shown off with the Xbox Series X full specs reveal, I saw the same dumb shit, to be yeah. clear, of people saying, no, my 2080 Ti is better. And I'm like, as far as I can tell, like, for example, Hellblade 2, they're already demoing it on Xbox at 4K60, and it looks crazy good. Right now, a 2080 Ti struggles to run Hellblade 1 at 60 frames in 4K. So you think Hellblade 2 with the better graphics is going to be easier to run on PC? Maybe. Maybe it'll be more optimized. But all evidence suggests, again, going back just as an example, that your PC might need to be upgraded if what you have is Turing in a hard drive. Yeah. Which, I don't if know you why look, that's so hard for people to accept. Also, if you have Turing, why the fuck do you have a hard drive? You should oh, have, an, you should have had, gotten an SSD before you got Turing. Uh, all right. Well... I guess that was a lot for that story. Me and Dan were pretty mad about the reactions we saw. I don't think we're going to edit it out, though. It just is what it is, guys. And, you know, if we're wrong, we'll admit we're wrong. We have reader corrections and omissions there. But I just feel like I've never seen more bad takes per capita than in the past couple of months on some of this console stuff. All right, Bootman writes him, and he says, AMD Infinity Control Fabric seems to be effective on laptops. Can it be implemented on desktop to get more performance and save power? I think he's talking about like the smart shift, dynamic okay. power shifting on an APU. APU is using iGPUs when it's enough, using it in tandem with a discrete GPU when needed. We had AMD Dual Graphics over the years. Are we going to a mature version of that now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be easy to ship, use like a smart shift between a dedicated graphics card over PCIe and the CPU. I assume they can do some version of that. I, they kind of already do, though, when they throttle the boost clocks. Yeah. Um, I don't Do you have anything else to say? The only other thing I would say is, I mean, yeah, it's going to come with Renoir. And do you consider the PS5 a desktop? Because that'll have smart shift in its APU. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I think that's what's helping it hit 2.2 gigahertz in a compact. Form fact. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Story number eight. NVIDIA Ampere officially unveiled, meant, and, and, and you know, I this is the A100 chip, the cut-down version of the GA100 chip. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about the same information for weeks, but if there was someone who didn't watch my videos nor watch the loose ends, they just listened to this podcast, I think we have to technically add this story that the A100 was unofficially revealed with like 6,990 CUDA cores cut down from 8,192, um, five stacks of HBM2E, a massive die. It's honestly, and I have a whole podcast talking to an AI developer, and he acts like this is going to be over twice as good at Vol as Volta was at AI development, uh, machine learning, reinforcement learning, that type of stuff. It's really impressive. Yeah, right? it I mean, yeah, it's very impressive. It's not super in the purview of what we usually talk about, so I don't know how much there is to say about it. Uh, for what for what it is, it looks really good, though. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the, the, the takeaways I have are two things. It's really cut down, 20% cut down. For those who don't know, Volta, V100, right, 
was cut down to 5120 cuticores. The full GV100 die had 5376. So they only really cut it down by like 5, 7%. This is cut down by 20%. Yeah. Way or, more than before. Or, yeah, like 2,300 cores almost. Yeah, I think. and it's, it's on N7P. So I don't know what the, you know, we know it's 94% yields with AMD's Zen 2 chiplets, but those are 74 millimeter square dies. This, this is, is 11 times bigger die size. Uh, what is More that? than 11, maybe. What does that compute to? Eight, what? 826, I think, or something okay. like that. I don't remember the exact yeah, size, yeah. but it's over 800 millimeters squared. So that tells you that, no, nah, that's probably why. And, yeah. and, and with the rumor that GA103 may be canceled, I suspect it may be because they're just going to cut down GA102 to 103 mm-hmm. because they realize with dies this big, even on TSMC's <clears throat> very mature 7 nanometer. You're not going to get... It is N7P, by the way, not base n Yeah, yeah. That, which I think everything's just going to be N7P pretty soon, what I can tell. Um, that, yeah, I mean, for a die this big, they had to cut it down a lot, a lot more than Volta. And the other big takeaway I had that I haven't talked about yet is they advertised it with Epic Rome a lot. And yeah, that was true. Volta was advertised with Intel. Now, on the one hand, you'd go, there's multiple takes you could have. I could see someone saying, this shows strength. They know Ampere is going to be so much better than RDNA 2 that they're willing to bundle it with AMD processors because they think you'll buy this server, DGX2 server uh, racks over mm-hmm. AMDs. Maybe. I also think they have no choice. Intel's so much worse now that they that NVIDIA is not stupid. They want to make the best product for their customers. They, they just can't use Intel. And it's important to remember they are, it's different divisions of the same company with AMD. It, it, like NVIDIA is going to make the decision that's, best right. for this product. They're not you're gonna, right, you're right, you're right. They're not going to re- say, well, we're going to go with Intel because we don't want to help our competitors at AMD. Well, they want to sell these DGX servers. This is what they need to put in it. Sony Vio laptops ran Windows. Exactly. Xbox, Xbox has a Sony Blu-ray player. People do what's in their best interest. And it's just interesting to see that finally, without a doubt, in their best interest is to help AMD a little bit and bundle Rome with these Ampere graphics cards. And again, I, I don't have much else to add about this story. I just think I just think Ampere looks really impressive. And I think some people are like, well, now AMD, now Tom's been paid off to support NVIDIA. No, I think RDNA 2 could be just as good. That, to me, is even more exciting. It's just we know more about Ampere now. Or I do. I got information. I well, know more about Ampere than RDNA 2. Yeah, and we'll know more about RDNA 2 probably relatively soon. I mean, with the... I would think the Series X and uh, PS5 are going to have a blowout pretty soon. That will tell us something. In about a month. I, I think Gorilla might actually do a two-day developer tech conference about the PS5, and then you're going to learn everything. And Xbox is going to do that in July as well. July, right? But that's when they're going to so. show exclusives. They've already yeah, yeah, their, yeah. They've already shown their specs. We already know the specs, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Ampere's are impressive. I threw a couple other random things here. Like, I don't want to give it its own story, but I want to mention it in passing. NVIDIA drops the Tesla brand, right? Which mm-hmm. I think is funny because they think it might confuse with Tesla car company. Oh, I, I thought I was getting a Tesla Roadster and they sent me this fucking DGX one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, I showed that there was a NVIDIA researcher who trained AI to replicate Pac-Man, which I actually thought was crazy impressive. And also, it's important to note what he's saying here. He's not saying that it 
figured out how to play Pac-Man really well. It train it, an algorithm trained on Pac-Man was able to recreate the game using AI. So it's not running a game engine. There's yes, no yes. files. There's no files for a game engine. They just showed like they did 50,000 gameplay episodes of Pac-Man. They took 50,000 instances of playing Pac-Man and the AI just through training looked at the game and it is able to replicate the game and let you play it without even having the game engine. It just knows how the game works and can show it while you're playing it. Yeah, uh, looking at like this little GIF that's looping, there's some weird artifacts in it and stuff, but it yeah. looks like it, it's Pac-Man. Clearly. It works. So that's interesting. I just, this was sent to me by the AI developer guest, and I just think it's funny because it's like, are you ready for the bootleg games in 30 years where they just have game studio hackers just train a game and sell it for cheaper? Or I'm excited. That probably won't really happen, but it's a funny scenario. I'm excited personally for them to train the AI on Call of Duty and a bunch of other games and make the composite game of all popular games. Call of Duty, Black Ops, Warzone 2. Creed, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all the stories, Dan. I don't know. Is there any other news stories from this week? You saw that you'd want to mention? Uh, not that I can think of. So, the final reader mails. Doomberry writes in and he says, Hello, Tom. You might remember that a while ago, a tech tuber, probably Adore, but I can't find the video. Actually, I know Adore talked about what you're about to ask, and I know I did in several videos and podcasts, but he goes on. Raised concerns over NVIDIA's financial results post-crypto boom. This is during the Pascal era. It seemed like NVIDIA was downplaying the loss in revenue once things calmed down. That would happen once the crypto market crashed and mining firms stopped buying Pascal graphics cards. Well, a lawsuit has been filed in California recently. Can you tell us something useful on this topic or ask someone who might know? Yeah, I do know. I comment on it. I commented on it multiple times in little parts of videos. I'm sure I talked about it in Broken Silicons multiple times. I go to the, the mid-2019 era Broken Silicons. I'm sure some of the first videos, our first Broken Silicons, I've talked about this, that... Yeah, probably. That NVIDIA was hiding the fact that their hot, insane Pascal sales, half of them are coming from miners. And there were, there were, I know there were mining firms in China that bought 737 jets, flew them directly to the factory. No, yeah. no, this was from Washington State, I believe. This is a mining firm in Washington State that bought a 737 jet and chartered it to land at their mining studio, mm -hmm. our mining complex, and drop off Pascal graphics cards, 1060s and 1070s specifically, directly from the factory. So they set up a deal with a Chinese factory that had a, a, a takeoff ramp on it for a 737 to be loaded up direct from the factory and land so they could hook up the cards as quickly as possible. Yeah. I, yeah, well, and wasn't there a story a while back like there was an insane overproduction of cards due to this too? If I'm remembering correctly, or am yes, I confusing there was a massive overproduction of cards. They eventually started cutting down 1080s into 1060s with GDPR. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I mean, it was it was bad, and Nvidia. I think Nvidia lied. I think they knew it was all miners, or not all miners, but like a lot of it was miners. I mean, they had this one slide that confirmed it to me, where they were like. Oh, it was hilarious. What did they call it? They called it the esports boom, where they're like, the 1060s are being bought up in mass because of Fortnite. That's why we're selling four times as many graphics cards. 
Oh, that, yeah, I forgot I remember about seeing that. that slide and going, oh, they're going to be, this is going to show up in a court at some point. <laughs> so that, that I hope that answers your question. I mean, do you remember those stories, though, back then? It was insane. I, 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 don't, I remember the stories. I don't remember everything about them, though. Um, I, I remember something with, like, chips of <laughs> NVIDIA products, like, with nothing to do with them, though, or something like yeah. that. But yeah, so, yeah, I mean, go look for that, Doomberry. Bullethead writes in, and he says, with SSD cards, I'm sorry, SD, SD. cards adopting PCIe 4.0 and NVMe standards and the new SD Express standard, do you think it's possible lower-end GPUs past RDNA 3 might actually just use an SD Express that you can upgrade yourself because it's cheaper and hot-swappable instead of using an NVMe drive? I don't know. That's an interesting idea. If it had the latency and dual, uh, what is it, crosstalk read-write abilities, I don't know. Like, it yeah. sounds like it will, that NVMe has. Maybe. It would be an interesting solution. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So wait, so hot swappable what? So you, it so would be dynamic, you N- could increase so remember my storage? RDNA 3 yeah, yeah, yeah. speculation video about eventually putting basically pro SSG uh, SSDs on a graphics card to kind of replicate what the PS5 and Xbox are doing. He's saying, can we just use an NV- a PCIe 4.0 SD card? And frankly, without reading too much into it, I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the specs a little bit. The biggest thing that jumped out to me was four gigabytes per second. So I don't know. Maybe oh. that would be high enough bandwidth. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know if that's good enough. I-, I think a lot of people are wondering if it'll just be upgradable. Maybe. I also just think AMD might pay 50 bucks and solder it onto the graphics card. Yeah, or... Less than fifty bucks, honestly. I know it's a, it's, I know it's a PC modder's wet dream that we can upgrade the RAM directly on the graphics card, but I don't think that's what they would go with. I think they go for the lowest latency solution, soldering it right next to the die. I mean, that would make more sense from a latency perspective. From like you said, a modder's wet dream. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can we make the uh, capacitors upgradable? For, for I mean, a they PC are modders? upgradable, Dan. <laughs> that's true. Yoda King writes him, and he says, I often hear the perception that AI and video games have been stagnant and have not improved since the first fear, with the exception of Alien Isolation. Yeah, I mean, I think... Fear from, was PS3, right? Uh, they brought it to PS3 as PC. PC, okay. Yeah, I, I usually think a Half-Life 2 AI is, you know, there's still definitely ways to cheese a <laughs> Half-Life AI sometimes, though. Um, why do you think that is? Is it because game developers are emphasizing too much on graphics? I think there's some of that. Or is it something more? And what could developers do to change this? Well, you know, I'm just going to answer it this way. I think a lot of it is the graphics. And I think some of it is just, it's it's one of those things they might not do first sometimes. And it's not what they need for their game. Like if it's a zombie game, you don't need the AI to be super smart. If it's, and if it's a shooter like Call of Duty, they kind of want you to be a god. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, MGS5. It's already really, really impressive pathfinding communication. Like it's there, it just takes work. Takes work, and I'm guess I haven't played it for a while, but I'm guessing like their group tactics weren't super strong in MGS five. Which no, they were pretty good. They were good, but like if you could have a, it was mostly open world though, so it was where you got to see them work together. Yeah, if you remember MGS four? The group tactics were crazy good. Yeah, like, and that's scary good, like to the point where if you played it on the hardest difficulty and they figured out the area you were in, it was like a 25% chance you'd be able to hide correctly. 
And that's another problem is with PC, I mean, not PC, with AI and games is I think uh, I think a hive mind type approach is probably a lot easier to go for where yeah. you just have a, essentially a hive mind with pathfinding for each node in that hive. I think that's probably easier. Well, I also think that you have to remember that a lot of the intelligence of AI in a game <clears throat> requires a lot of really specific programming to that area. Like, if I remember correctly, like, MGS4 to MGS5, some of MGS4's AI was smarter. Some of MGS5's is smarter. Yeah. You kind of got to tell the AI what to do, even in specific areas. That's a lot of work. Like, and, and what I'm saying is it can even vary between two games. The AI can get dumber if they don't put in that work. They don't feel the need to put in that work. Like, I remember Killzone 2 to Killzone 3, and especially Shadowfall is a good example. Killzone 2's AI was pretty damn smart. But Killzone 3's felt a little dumber, and Shadow Falls was not as smart. The second they put them in an open-world-ish areas, they were dumber. Well, yeah, and like uh, if you look at games like the Souls series, what's interesting is they have enemies in multiple different areas, and it's clear that they don't program them perfectly for each area. Sometimes they're so, way dumber. So sometimes, like, yeah, like the Capra Demon in an open era, area is fine, but sometimes it's just the complete moron. Yeah, the moron. boss is just way smarter. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And uh, it takes a lot of busy work. But yeah, and for like what he said about their, this perception, my thought that immediately came to mind was, you know, and I just watched that uh, Ghosts of Tsushima gameplay demo and while the game looks perfectly fun and i'll probably get it eventually like it's very clear they a lot of games kind of go through for these easier solutions when they have stealth tactics like they have a little bar that fills when they notice you then that bar fills the hive mind activates even though they're directly looking at you and this bar should shouldn't really be full it's just this guy sees you yeah just easier to program like by modifying a stat, I think, is a lot of it. And, and some of it is CPU performance as well, though. I yeah. just think I just think the way AI works in games now is it's decision trees, massive ones. I saw behind the scenes for Killzone where they showed like their AI's decision tree. And it was like pages and pages and pages of if-then statements and like how to react to a player. And they need to redo it a little bit. Every game when they update the engine, it's a lot of busy work. And it uses a lot of CPU power too. Each one of those little AIs as their own little decision tree running on your CPU cores. And I think we're going to get way better AI next gen, is what I'm saying. I yeah. do think we're going to get way better AI next gen. I think at a certain point, what needs to happen, though, is they need to start putting more effort into making an AI engine that they can pull out and then slot into the next game so there isn't as much busy work when they're making it. Well, yeah, because if you imagine like a like e if each uh, character is like a discrete actor and all of those have even a pretty simple if-then tree, you could easily see how that would just immediately hamper CPU performance. Yeah. Anyways, I think we answered the question well. Yeah. Second Chicken Man writes him, and he says, Hot Chips 2020 lineup is out. And yeah, I have it pulled up here. Yeah, it had, there's an Ice Lake server. There's IBM Power 10. There's Ryzen 4000, Tiger Lake, a keynote from Jim Keller. An Ampere presentation, Z, Xbox Series X. I got to admit, this looks like an awesome Looks like they're going to be a lot it of looks people like I kind of just skip the second day, too. It's like uh, just the one day matters. I will say, on the second day, I was glad to see the Wafer Scale V2. That was that Cerberus company I that's doing that the Wafer dies. So I, I'm happy to see that company still exists. 
Because I think that's fun that that exists. <laughs> yeah. It's still, they've got the competition stacked against them. It's not going to be easy to yeah. succeed. But I hope that, again, I want people to try different things. I hope they succeed. It's a novel idea. I want 2,000 millimeter square graphics cards. Well, actually, at a certain point, we can't even fit it on a <laughs> discrete <laughs> GPU. Um, what if they did it like a diagonal? <laughs> There's no way for listeners to know what I'm talking about, but they like tilted the PCV sideways so it could like diagonally fit in there. Yeah, that would be a really, really smart solution. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of people have been asking me, am I going to hot chips this year? Well, first of all, they say it's just virtual right now. Um, when is it this year? July or August? August? And they say it's just virtual local TBD. If they announce it's local... I had a backer fund me to go there so I could give him information and my takes on things to the minute when I was there. If he does that again, I'll go. If it happens, if it doesn't happen, I'm a lot of the information I gained, guys, insider information from going was by actually talking to real people, being able to sit there in the audience and look at people's faces when Lisa Sue's talking or when the NVIDIA guy's talking and like seeing when people are like, this guy's full of shit. Like that type of stuff was important. Getting to go to the Hot Wings after show mm-hmm. and meet Jim Keller and Raj Kadori, that was big. What I'm saying is if it's not in person, if it's only virtual this year, I don't know there's any point in me doing special coverage. The news will come out to me basically at the same time as everyone else. And then I'll just cover the news. But yeah, if it's if local anything. again, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We've gotten past the 3D 4-bit Patreon goal. If we get to the 1,024 HBM Patreon goal by then, it doesn't matter if I'm backed. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, pay that. my way to go because then you guys are totally funding this for, and I'll bring a nicer camera. Maybe by then I'll have a better laptop. Probably not. Probably the same <laughs> one as last year, but it'll, I'll be ready to go. I'll have a nicer camera to film things live, hopefully. You know, I'll, I'll do it then if we can get to that Patreon goal. If not, We'll have to see if the backer can fund me. And that's only if they're going to do it locally. If they're not going to do it locally, I don't really plan to do anything special, except I'll probably be like waking up early and doing extra videos the week when hot chips happens. Yeah. Um, but I think that answers the questions about hot chips. I will say the lineup this time looks better. So I do want to go to it. It's just with what's going on with COVID right now. I don't know if I can. Yeah, hopefully you can. But uh, I, mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bet money out that you could go to it or that it will no. even be held in person. I think there's a chance it'll happen, but they kind of need to know within two months if they're going to make it local so people can buy tickets and stuff. Yeah, I, I just really have a feeling that every event like this up until quarter three next year is going to be canceled. <laughs> it was really fun to be there, though, and to be like in the same place as like Silicon Valley, the show and devs and like walk around and be like, oh, this is how everyone dresses in hats. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. That's the news. That's the reader mails. Got a little spirited, shall we say, in the middle of the podcast. We usually do, though. Just remember that we love you. We don't actually hate any of you. Unless you say Tim Sweeney doesn't know what he's talking about. Then I might want to stab you. I still probably don't hate you, but you did have a pretty bad take, I would say. Okay, so no stabbings. Yeah, none. I was going to say maybe a couple, but no, I'll go with none. Okay. Any last words, Dan? This is the last, this is, by the way, this is the 50th episode. I don't know what, I, 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 I don't know, remember if this is the anniversary. I think this might be about the broken silicon anniversary, though. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it might be, I guess. I think it's around there. 
There's no way to know it exactly because we weren't a weekly show right away. Well, you could check when the first one was uploaded. I could do that, but I don't have That's the ability impossible. to do that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just maybe we take a minute to think about. It's been a year broken silicon. It's we're charting top 100 technology podcasts. I think we got to number 30 at one point. You guys, if you listen to this on YouTube, remember subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or your preferred one. But if you use those, those are the ones that can get us new viewers if we get into the top 10. But I really do think that if we got the amount of people listening on YouTube to all subscribe to their preferred podcast app, we, we could become the number one technology podcast for a week. And if we did that, people would notice us and discover the channel through the podcast feed. And I will say just to plug podcasts in general, if you don't listen to podcasts, it's a great way to make up for like time driving, time when you're, uh, I don't know, in a fish room killing fish. That's what Dan does. Uh, that's definitely not a it's really, really specific example that only applies to me. It's great <laughs> when you're doing that, though. <laughs> yeah. Or like when I, yeah, I mean, it's or when you're driving to Fort Wayne, Indiana for meetings. I'm sure everyone does that, like you kill fish. Yeah. But I like how this is just turning into an ad for podcasts. You can listen to them. <laughs> It'd be like if I did an ad for movies. You watch them with your eyes. <laughs> I mean, I did, but there are a lot of people that don't listen to podcasts, and you know, so I don't know. It's a good place to put an ad to listen to podcasts right at the end of a podcast. Well, I mean, if they're watching this on YouTube, maybe they skip to the very end and they're now hearing this. Yeah, and maybe they're like before. Maybe they they were just looking at the burning silicon logo for 2 hours and they're like, "Wait, I wasn't supposed to watch that this whole time?" There are some people who say things like that seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know, it's been a year. It's been fun. I really think of the start of broke like, cuz I mean, the first video was me yelling into a smartphone, like, I don't know, October of 2018. And now I'm, we're yelling into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying, I really feel like when Broken Silicon started, that's truly when my channel in its somewhat recognizable form started. So yeah, I would really, agree. It's been a one year of this channel right now is what we're celebrating. And I, well, we're at, I think we just crossed 47,000 subscribers as of this recording. By the time this comes out, who knows? Probably not forty-eight thousand yet, though. But I don't it's know. Been who a knows? wild ride. You've been getting a lot of days where you get a like thousand subscribers. So who yeah. knows? What I'll say is, I think if we're going to do a celebration episode, it'd be part of a sixty. It'd be like sixty-four. I think we'll do like a special episode every sixty-four. But I'm not sure how special it's going to be. And it's because when I listen to a podcast, I kind of hate special episodes sometimes. Like if you tune into this to listen to news, don't you just want? The news, because <laughs> there would be some people who like the, spe- the 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 celebration for a second, but then go, okay, but I am actually here to listen to the content you guys usually make. Yeah. So it, on the sixty fourth, the one twenty eight, the one ninety two bit episodes, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll mention it and look back at something special, maybe. But those will still mostly be normal episodes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Any last words, Dan? Uh no, I don't think so. All right. Forgive me if I called you a fucking idiot. I don't really... I I guess I don't... I guess I can't say one way or the other if you're a fucking idiot because I don't know you. But you're probably not. I didn't mean it. Yeah. I think I called anyone an idiot, but I didn't mean it if I did. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Mohamed Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, James Krasa, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Victor Kohagon, Elethros, Telos, Kaden Picknell, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Edward Huff, Ali Robertson, Hardforeroom.com, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Et Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harrow P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, TSP at CFS, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, AJ Klein, Endless Loggins, Hector Santana, Justin Brennan, and Archon971. And as always, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>